I'm excited to be here this morning and share with you guys something that's been real meaningful to me over the years as God's taught it to me. It hasn't always been fun or easy for me to learn, but it's been something that's been helpful. Um, Before I get started, I just want to pray. Dear Father God, thank you that you're everywhere, God, and you're in all, um, that you're working for your purposes, and that you have a heart of love towards us, God, and that you said the hairs on our heads are numbered. So I pray that we just have open ears. I pray that I just be conduit for your spirit and for your word, that you speak your word for your purposes. Just be here with us today, God. Give me clarity and wisdom and just be glorified here. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen. So today I want to speak on the topic of responding to trials with a prayerful spirit. Responding to trials with a prayerful spirit. It's been said that each person or coming or going into a trial, currently in a trial, or coming out of a trial. So each person is either, we're either going into a trial, it's just on the near horizon, or we're in a trial, or we'll be coming out of a trial. So what I want to talk about today is how to respond to trials, specifically with prayer, because we've been talking about prayer a lot. And the Bible doesn't tell us all the reasons why. It says that there's some things that we'll never understand. It's like me trying to explain algebra to one of my young children. But what I find helpful is that the more and more I get to know the Bible, that whatever I'm going through, I find that there is specific comfort and guidance for what I need to do. And what's been really frustrating, I'm 37 now, is like over the years I'm like, God, I want to know why. And God doesn't always tell me why, but he does tell me of faith and do today. What I want to do is look at two Old Testament characters, a man and a woman, David and Hannah. And I want to look at how they responded to trials because, and I want to read you guys Romans 15, 4. It's a really encouraging and insightful verse. Paul writes in Romans 15, 4, he says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. And he's talking to believers. The book of Romans is to believers. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction so that through endurance... So the Christian life takes endurance. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't written, that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scripture, the Scriptures give us hope. We don't always get all the reasons why we're going through things, especially a lot of times not at the time we're going through it, but it's written for our encouragement so that we might have endurance and have hope. And there's been studies done um, on POWs in prison camps, prisoners of war, and they found that a determining factor is not necessarily how physically strong they are, but if they have hope or not. If someone has hope, it's amazing their resiliency and their endurance. But if someone loses hope, their life is sure to follow, or at least their health is sure to follow and deteriorate downward. So what I want to do first is look at a story in the life of David that is in 1 Samuel. 
and it's in 1 Samuel chapter 29 and chapter 30. And just to give you the background for this, this takes place when David, I'd say he's probably in like his 20s at this point because he didn't become king till he was 30. So this happened sometime in his, he killed Goliath when he was roughly seven. And the background of the story is that David had killed Goliath and through a series of events, Saul, King Saul put David in charge of his whole army. He was the commander of the Israelite army. And David just kept having one victory after another, one victory after another, to where one day he is coming back from war and the young maidens came out singing and dancing and swinging their tambourines and they said, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul just got really worried that his kingdom was in jeopardy and he was very, if you read First, Sec, First Samuel, he's always very focused on himself. He doesn't have trust in God. And so he got really worried and then he started trying to kill David. And two times David had an opportunity to kill Saul and get rid of him. One time Saul went into a cave where David was hiding to use the bathroom. And then he came out and he's like, part of his hem, the hem of his cloak, his garment. And then he came out and he's like, Saul, look, I could have killed you. And then another time Saul and his men were sleeping and David went down and stole his spear and his water pitcher. And then he blew a horn on a high ridge and he's like, look at Saul, if there was any evil in my heart, if I was trying to take over your kingdom, would I have went into camp and not killed you. And then right after this, David just like, you know what, Saul's just after me no matter what, even though I've proved my innocence and even though I've been very faithful to Saul, he's still trying to kill me. So what he does is he flees to the land of Philistines in Gath, and he goes to Gath, which ironically is where Goliath was from. So he killed Goliath and he he was faithful to Saul, but he had to run to the land of his enemies and live in a foreign land. And the king of Gath, Achish, gave him a town called Ziklag. And he said, you and your men can live in this town with your wives and children. So David brought his children that just loved his wives and his 600 men. Because there was just a group of men that just loved David and they followed him. And so he was first rejected by Saul. We're going to see that David was rejected three times um, in this story. So first he was rejected by Saul. He was faithful servant of God and of King Saul, and he was rejected by him, and he had to flee for his life. So imagine being a fugitive, having to go live like in Eastern Europe or something, when all you had been is a faithful servant of your government. And so he goes and he lives there, and then in chapter 29... He goes out to war with the Philistines, but they're going to fight the Israelites. And Achish says, come on, come with us, David. We want you to come along. And so he goes with the 600 men, and he's getting ready to fight with them. And the other Philistine commander said, no, no, don't bring this guy. Don't bring this guy. He's going to turn against us. Isn't this the guy that the maidens sing about? And they say, sorry. Um, even though you've been like an angel of God in my sight, you cannot come with us. And David's like, haven't I been blameless? Haven't I been a good servant? And so him and his men go back to Ziklag. Um, so his livelihood is he's a warrior. And yet Saul rejects him and the Philistines reject him. And so I want to look at First Samuel chapter 
30. We're just going to look at the beginning part. If you have your Bibles, turn into 1 Samuel 30 or flip on your um, scroll to 1 Samuel 30 on your smartphones. Okay, starting in verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag, which is where they lived, on the third day, because they had been out trying to go to war, on the third day the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire. Whole town. Imagine coming back to Eau Claire with your men and it's burned to the ground with fire and your house is burned to the ground, and you don't know what happened. Starting in verse 2, um, so Ziklag was burned with fire, and taken captive, they found that the um, women and all who were in the city, both small and great, had been taken captive. So you come to your, your house and your city, the whole city's burned, you go to the street where your house is on, and that's burned, and you don't see your wife or children. So for all you know, you've just lost everything in the world. You've lost your wives. He had two wives. You've lost your wife and you've lost your children. You've lost your spouse and you lost your children. And all your worldly possessions are gone. Now the Amalekites had killed no one but carried them off and went on their way. But remember, David didn't know this. And when David and all his men came to the city... They found it burned with fire, and, there, and the people who were with them, so the soldiers who were with them, raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. So they just wept till they didn't have any energy left. Verse 5, David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. So pay attention to those words. He was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him. So not only had he lost his wives and his children and his house and all his belongings and been rejected by the Philistines and the Israelites. He was a fugitive. um, But now he was at risk for his life. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and his daughters. So all the All the soldiers with him were bitter because they'd lost their sons and their daughters, what they thought. But this is the the end of verse 6. But David, David strengthened strengthened himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. So what would you do if you'd lost your spouse and your children and you came to your town and your city was burned? And you've been triple rejected now because his men rejecting him. That's the third rejection. And you are at risk for your life. And you are at risk for your life. We see here what David did. He comforted himself. Some translations say he comforted himself or he strengthened himself in the Lord. And then after this, we see that he he goes to God again and he said, "What, what should I do, God? And God said, pursue them and I'll give them into your hands. And then he pursued them, and he overtook the Amalekites, and they were just spread out in the countryside, just parting because they thought they'd got away, and they just went and killed them from that evening all the way till the evening the next day. But what I want to draw your comforting to me, because I've been through some challenges in my life, nothing too bad, 
but, or try to get strengthened from other things or people before God. But here we see David's natural response when his life was at risk and he thought he lost everything was to strengthen himself in God. And so the result of this is that David then ended up giving the glory to God. Um, at the end of his life in Second Samuel chapter 22, he writes this beautiful 50-verse song of praise to God for how God had consistently throughout his life rescued him from every trial and tribulation and been a strength and comfort to him even through the things that God didn't rescue him from because he lost a young son and he lost an older son, Absalom, and he had to live on the run for three, mo- three years of his life. So he went, through, he went through a lot of things. But what I want to draw your attention to here is that David, in spite of these tough circumstances, I learned from this story is that when I'm in tough circumstances, my first response should be to go to God in prayer. Just get away and say, God, like, I am taxed beyond my emotional or mental or physical resources. I don't have the strength or wisdom to figure this out. Please help me, God. And what's really cool, if you read 1 Samuel, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. David does this over and over and over again, and God blesses him in the long run for it. And Saul is like the exact inverse, the exact opposite. He actually does everything the opposite. He relies on his own understanding. He doesn't lean on God, but he relies on his own understanding. And the result of David doing this is he wrote many beautiful songs about how God had rescued him and God had comforted him. And then at the end of his life, as king, which when you're king, it'd be like being Trump. Like you say something on TV, everybody everybody hears it, whether they like it or not, because of his whole point of the country. So David, he worshipped to be sung in the temple and to be sung at special occasions. And he actually instituted 24-7 worshipers to be in the tabernacle and worship God. So David set an example as a leader of the proper way to respond to trials, to not rely on our own understanding, but to pour out our heart to God. And I want to read you guys Psalm 34, 4-6. through 6. This passage has really been helpful to me in prayer and just how to pray. It's just really simple. He's really transparent. This is David. David writing Psalm 34, verses 4 through 6. I sought the Lord. So that's prayer. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Now this is, And the Lord heard him, Psalm 34, 6, all his troubles. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. So he cried out in prayer. He poured out his heart in prayer. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I like that. That's been very, um, it's been a good guide for my prayer life, is just, not to come to God with any fronts, but just say, God, like, I'm poor and needy. I need you. I don't have the physical strength or the wisdom or the emotional strength to deal with this. Help me. I need you. And a psalm that's really been beneficial to me, if you could put up Psalm 62, verse 8. 
that, that God's really used in my own life is Psalm 62, verse 8. In college, I worked a ministry job, and I also, and I also worked a regular job. In the ministry job, we'd work late nights and um, just deal with some challenging things. And I just remember being really physically and emotionally exhausted one evening, and I was driving back. I got on George Bush Highway. I was driving back to where I lived, and I just remember feeling just frustrated and angry and, like, tempted towards sin. I'm like, God, I'm just, like, burnt out. But I was like, this is what I was thinking about. I was like, I can't bring this to God. I got to, like, get things together before I bring things to God. And so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, pray, t- I'll pray to God once I can get things better because I got to, like, look good in God's sight. And I felt like God saying, I sensed him saying, Grant, don't you know that I'm omniscient? Which means all-knowing. He said, don't you know that I'm all-knowing? I know everything that you're feeling and thinking right now anyways. So to turn somewhere else is just ridiculous because I already know what you're feeling and thinking. I have x-ray vision like I created. So what you need to do is when you feel frustrated or overwords of something, is just pour out your heart to me. And God brought to mind the words of Psalm 62, verse 8, where it says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. And what God laid on my heart is that, Grant, you just got to pour out your heart to me. Just pour out your heart. I am your creator, and you're my created creature. And your heart is made for me, so you need to just pour it out. And I just remember just pouring out my heart. I was like screaming at times, just like yelling. I was just being loud. I was in my car so no one could hear. And I just felt like this pressure just released, like something snapped. And I just had this peace of getting things out. Like, yeah, now I told God. And I just had this peace and calmness rest of the night. And that was probably that was probably over 10 years ago. And ever since that time, I've just been that truth that God has impressed on my heart, pour out your home. I'm a sinner. Like all of us, I turn to other things or try to figure out my own problems or turn away from God at times. But as a rule of thumb, God's brought that back over and over. Grant, pour out your heart to me. Don't turn to something else or someone else first. Pour out your heart to me. In the idea in Hebrew, um, the Psalms in the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, most of it, is that Humans, a lot of times, are stable. We're stable. Our heart is focused. We're like, this is what I'm going to do today. But when we go through trials, really hard things, our hearts can just kind of melt, and we don't know what to do. And we just get all, like, confused, and we become emotionally overwhelmed. And our heart becomes like water. That's the idea. And it's the same idea with joy, too, in the Bible, where it says, his heart overflowed with joy. Normally your heart is stable, but sometimes you get so excited that your heart just overflows out to other people. You're like, I gotta tell you what happened to me today. But the idea of pouring out is that your heart becoming pour out, out heart to God. When your heart becomes weak or unstable, don't keep it inside. Pour it out to me. So I just want to give you guys a visual aid because I've heard it said that pictures stick with us longer. I want to show you guys a visual aid of what David's talking about here. So God wants us to pour out our entire heart to him. 
So sometimes as I'll do like, God, I've had a tough day. Give me wisdom, which is fine prayer to pray sometimes, but it's not a good prayer to pray if you're in really taxing circumstances that take a lot of wisdom or where you're just emotional all day and you're responding wrong. What God wants us to do, especially when we're in harder circumstances, is pour out our whole heart. I don't have room in this cup for everything, but literally empty your... Imagine I'm just flipping this all the way out till the very bottom of it is totally emptied into the cup. So that's what God is saying. He wants us to pour out our entire hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. And can you go to Psalm 62, verse 1 and 2? Um, So it says, David's saying here, For God alone, my soul, wait in silence. What's cool is the first five verses of Psalm 62 all start with the word only. It says, Ak el Elohim, um, only towards God or only for God comes my salvation. And he alone, notice this theme of alone. And in Hebrew, just to grab the reader's attention, alone is the first word in every verse through verse 5. So he says here, for God alone my soul waits in silence. From God comes my salvation. God comes my Yeshua. It's the same word that the name Jesus is built off. From God comes my salvation. He alone is my rock. shaken. And my salvation, my fortress. Own your refuge and not turning to self or other people first is that we're not greatly shaken. And that phrase greatly shaken refers to something that happens you're you're passive in it and you're getting shaken by all these circumstances around you but when we make god our fortress and our retreat we're not greatly shaken and what's really cool the word my fortress he alone god alone is my rock and my salvation my fortress it means a retreat or a stronghold that you go to and that was challenging to me as i read that um, and looked it up in hebrew is that I felt like God was saying, what is your retreat? Where do you retreat to? Um, Do you go to food or drink or other ways of finding comfort or solving your problems? What is your retreat? So he's saying here, God alone is my retreat. David's first response was to go to God, to retreat to God. I want to look at the the second person now, and it's the story of Hannah. And she's another biblical example of a person whose difficult situation caused her or pushed her to seek God in prayer. First Samuel chapter 1 and 2 is, I think, two of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible on prayer. Because chapter 2 is her prayer to God after he answered. So go to First Samuel chapter 1. First Samuel chapter 1. So we have... A man and a woman, and they're both in the same book. One is at the beginning of the book, and one is at the end of the book. So First Samuel, chapter 1. Here, I'll read it in the NIV here. Okay. So starting in verse 1 of First Samuel. There was a certain man from Ram, Jamathram, son of Eli, who's son of country of Ephraim, who's Ephraimite. 
So there's a man named Elkanah, is the Cliff Notes version of it. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. So that's the setting. Elkanah had two wives. Hannah had no children, and Peninnah had children. Year after year, this man went out from his town to worship and sacrificed to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to, Penin- but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Because he loved her. So here we see that Hannah had the love of her husband. She probably had a good marriage. But we're about ready to see, and we saw already in verse 2 that something was missing. So she had a verse 5, a husband who loved her, but something was missing. So verse 5, But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. So we see here that for some reason God had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. So Hannah had two, two pains that she was going through. The first pain was childness or barrenness, which is really hard now, but in that culture, um, it had a social stigma as well. So it was even, there's an added burden to it. So she had two pains to bear. She had childlessness and she had these emotional daggers that kept being put into her heart because it said her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this wasn't a one-time thing. Look at verse 7. This went on year after year. So year after she lived with Peninnah. So it wasn't something that she could get away with. She was reminded that she was childless both by seeing Peninnah's children, but also she was reminded because Peninnah wouldn't let her forget she wasn't a nice woman. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? So even her husband didn't understand her. He's like, why are you so sad about not having a child? Aren't I better to you than ten sons? So like a practical word of advice if you're a husband and your wife is emotionally distraught about something, don't say, oh, aren't I better than that? What do you, what's the big deal? Like, he wasn't, very, he wasn't very comforting to her. So she, she missed, she had an absence in her life of something she needed. Her rival, Penn and husband, didn't understand her. The person who should have been most close to her emotionally and the most understanding and empathetic, he did not understand her. So now we're going to see what Hannah's response was. Verse 9. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed and weeping bitterly. So she was weeping bitterly out of her deep anguish. And sometimes I found like that my pain pushes me to God in prayer better than anything else. Verse 11, And Hannah made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me 
and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips, and he said, but her voice was not heard. Eli, put away your wine. And he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. So even he didn't understand what she was going through, the priest of God. Verse 5, not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. So she tells him what she was doing. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. And it's the exact same word for pour as Psalm 62, 8 has. The exact same word that David uses, it's shafak. So she's saying, I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. So think of that visual aid I just showed you guys. Like She was like literally just dumping out, unloading everything she had in her heart to God. She's like, my husband doesn't understand. Um, I've tried and tried, haven't had a child. Peninnah's no help. She's, women aren't giving me comfort. They're just like pushing the pain in. Pouring out my soul. I'm going to go to God and pour out my heart for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So we see here that she was praying here out of her great anguish and grief. And it led her to pour out her heart to God. So what circumstances pushed Hannah to seek God? Her barrenness, number one, a reminder year after year of this through the mocking of Peninnah. And also, I would say too probably that she wasn't getting any emotional support from her husband. Finally, she just went to God. She's like, I can't handle it anymore. I'm just going to unload on God and tell him. And how, secondly, how did God get the glory in this? Because God does things and he allows things in our life so that he gets the glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So how did God get the glory? Through Hannah's pang. Samuel's name and number one, through answering her prayer and giving, she named her son, heard of God. God heard my prayers. And Samuel turned into a great servant of the Lord. He is a great servant of the Lord. He ended up anointing King David. And then third way, the third way that God got glory out of this is she wrote this beautiful prayer. Uh, good homework assignment this week for your devotions is read First Samuel chapter 2. It's her response to God. It's just a beautiful prayer. I think it's one of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible. So God got the glory through her painful circumstances by her writing a prayer of thanksgiving and praise to God that's recorded in a different language, English. This Bible is going all around the world with this beautiful prayer. The story of what happened in her life that was painful. And then God's, in her pouring out her heart, secondly, God's intervention, and then God got the glory in the long run. So God got the glory through coming through for her. And thirdly, what about, what about when we pour out our hearts to God and he doesn't answer? Have you poured out your heart to God and you just wait and wait and wait? If you could go to Psalm 131. Psalm 131.
I'll read it to you guys in the English Standard Version. That's the version I've meditated on it, meditated on it, and internalized it in Psalm one thirty one. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. So his heart's not lifted up in pride. In pride, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. This is David writing. So he's saying, there's things I can't figure out, and I'm just going to be still and stop trying to figure them. It says in Deuteronomy, it says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things belong to us and our children. And he's talking to the Israelites, God's people. So the secret things belong to the Lord. There's some things that are secret that we can't figure out in our human wisdom, but there's revealed things that are revealed to us. So verse 2, this is David's response. In verse 1, he approaches God in humility. And then verse 2, he says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So this is something he did. He said, I have calmed and quieted my soul. He said, I'll just sit here with you, God, like a child who was really anxious and fighting and just frustrated that he wasn't or she wasn't getting something from her mom that she was accustomed to getting and that was necessary. Milk is necessary. And it's finally just resigned. The child has just resigned themselves to being weaned, but not from their mother. A child from their mother, their mother, but not from their mother. They're still with the mother. So he's saying, I'm just like a child who's weaned. And I've calmed and quieted my soul with these circumstances and with things I don't understand. And I'm just going to be with you, God, and just keep waiting and trust you. Verse 3, O Israel, and when he says Israel, this is God's covenant people, so you could insert here, O Christians. Verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time and until tomorrow. From this time and until the going gets tougher, until you don't understand something that's going on. No, he says, O Israel, or O God's people, Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. The word is olam. It just means forever and ever. So whatever comes in your life, trust God. Trust God with it. So I just want to close by looking at a couple prayers when he doesn't answer us and when life circumstances happen to us. So the first thing that we learn from the Bible, which is so freeing to me, is that when life presents you with things you don't understand and things that are legitimately painful, don't, don't follow the example of our culture. Our American culture is pull yourself up by the bootstraps, pretend it doesn't hurt, be strong, because that's what a tough person is, a self-sufficient person, be strong. And what the Bible actually says is it says pour out your heart before God. So the Bible says do not pretend that it doesn't hurt. Don't pretend that your pain doesn't hurt. You need to pour it out to God. And the Bible says, be careful who you share things with. Don't just pour out your heart to everyone. But it does talk about in the Proverbs of finding some faithful people to entrust yourself to. So find a Christian or brother or sister and let them also comfort you. Let God speak through them to you and just give you the ministry of presence as well. But the first thing we learn all together, we're not made, we're not made to be Independent creatures. We're not self-sufficient. 
in and of ourselves. David Jeremiah says, Problems are situations engineered by God to show us our insufficiency and his sufficiency. So problems are situations engineered by God to show us our insufficiency and his sufficiency. So when you're going through things that are emotionally painful or just taxing you beyond your mental capacity, and you even turn to other people who are wise in that area and they have good insights, um, but for this problem, they're not giving you what you need. When you're taxed beyond your emotional, physical, or mental resources, turn to God. Say, God, I'm overwhelmed. Like, this poor man is crying out to you. This poor woman, like, I need you. I'm poor and needy. Take thought for your servant. Just tell God. Say, it hurts. Or say, I'm confused. I'm not that smart. Come to God in humility like the first verse in Psalm 131 does. Just don't pretend it doesn't hurt. Pour out your heart to God. Get it out. Just let him know. Jesus told, do it in your car. Or, it's cool because Jesus told, Jesus told the woman um, at the well that the time is coming and now is here where true worshipers worship God in spirit and truth. So I love that. I can like be riding on my motorcycle or driving for car in my car and I can just be worshiping God in spirit and truth and praying. God created us to where we can pray whatever, whatever circumstance we're in. I probably shared this story before, but Susanna Wesley, John and Charles Wesley's, Charles and John Wesley's mother, they grew up to be like spiritual studs, basically. She had, she had 10 or 12 children. I forget how many, 10 or 12. And she had some die when they were younger as well. But she, what she would do in the morning is, and her husband wasn't a very reliable character, so she had a big burden to bear. What she would do is she had this apron, and while they were sitting at the table, she would take the apron, put her head down, and just said, well, we knew not to mess with mom when she was praying. That was like her sacred place. So that was the place where she poured out her heart to God. She made it happen. She made it happen in her circumstances. And I found like if I really value something like running, something else, I'll make it happen even if I have to do it late at night or be creative in how I do it. And the second thing we learn that we can do while we wait on God is continue Continue to wait. Psalm 131.3 says, Wait on God from this time forth and forevermore. Wait on God from this time forth and forevermore. And the last thing that I've learned is just remind yourself of God's love for you when your eyes don't see God's love for you and you're praying and not getting what you're praying for. Remind yourself of God's love for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties. It doesn't say some of them. It says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares. 62 says, that's for you. In the last verse of Psalm, love belong to you. So I know some people who are loving, but they're powerless to help. And then some people have some power, some humans, but they're not very loving. But it says, power and love belong to you. So just remind yourself of God's power, but remind yourself of God's love. The First Thessalonians says, we walk by faith, not by sight. So with your, when with your sight you don't see an answer, and with your mind you don't understand what God is doing, just remind yourself of the promises in the Bible to give you hope. Romans 15.4 says, things that were written in past times in the Old Testament were written to give us hope. So just get... Get in the scriptures. Memorize 
Psalm 62, 5, where he talks, he talks to himself. Can we put Psalm 62, 5 up there? What I love about Psalm 62, 5 is David is talking to himself. So practice self-talk and soul. Why are you distraught? Hope in God. Hope in God. So he's talking to himself, which when I read that, I think he's, his natural inclination, given his circumstances, and he talks about crying and how his tears are his food in Psalm 42. I think his natural inclination is not to trust in God, given what he sees with his eyes. So he's talking to himself in Psalm 42. And verse 5 here is actually almost the exact same. 5 and 6 is almost the exact same of verse 1 and 2. Only he switches it. And he says, I shall not be shaken. In verse 6, whereas the beginning he said, I will not be greatly shaken. But verse 5 he actually, verse 1, he states the truth. And then verse 5, David actually reminds himself. He reminds himself. He's actually talking to himself. So it's like we're reading David's spiritual journal. So verse 5 says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. For God alone, O my soul. So say your hope in God. From him alone comes my salvation. And then the last thing is, Read passages about God's love. I love Isaiah 53 when I'm going through hard things or don't understand God because it reminds me that God bled. Ben Harper has a song called Please Bleed. And he says, please bleed so I know that you're real. Please bleed so that I know that you can feel. And he's talking to a human. But I like that. I like that song because it reminds me like Jesus, he's a faithful high priest. And Hebrews says... He took on everything that we, that we endured, and he loves us. And the last thing that's really been helpful to me recently is just thinking that God, Psalm 139 says, God knows when we get up and when we go to bed. I was running last night, and God was just saying, like, I know everything about you. Like, I see. I love you. Psalm 139 says, God knows when we get up in the morning and when we go to bed. He knows everything about us. And our thoughts are not hidden from God. And then he says, search me and know my thoughts. And then in, Psalms, in Luke twelve nine, Jesus says, don't fear. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. He says, don't fear. Don't you know that your father knows the number of hairs on your head? Don't you know that your father knows the numbers of hairs on your head? Does anyone know how many hairs the average person has on their head? <laughs> Go for it. 10,000. Close. One more zero and you'd be right. 100,000. The average person has 100,000 hairs on their head. We're born with with 100,000 hair follicles and they replenish themselves throughout your life. But it depends on your hair color. So if you have the most, you have the least. You have roughly 90,000. If you're blonde, you have the most. You have 150,000 hairs on your head. And if you are have brown or black hair, you average between 100,000 and 110,000. So just think about have over 100,000 blonde. I don't know that I have 150. God knows that. Like He knows me better than I know myself. And yet the Bible says that I can go to this almighty, all-knowing God and cast my cares on him, cast my anxieties. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I just want to close us in prayer. Dear Father, I pray that 
by your Holy Spirit, you just infuse faith into our hearts, God, and that we, we do what we need to this week and we just constantly remind ourselves to put our hope in you. If that means memorizing Psalm 62 or part of it or whatever you lay on our hearts, that we would somehow be proactive like David was in reminding himself in Psalm 42 and Psalm 62 to hope in God, hope in God only, go to God first. So I pray that you would just do that, God, in a powerful way that you would help us walk by faith and not by sight. And when we hurt, help us to be transparent with you and humble and not just make that a go to you and say, I'm poor and needy, take thought for me. I need you. Just make that a experiential reality in our lives until we get to see you face to face in heaven where we'll be perfectly known and know you perfectly. And thank you that we can come to you through the blood of Jesus, God. I wouldn't be able to pray. No one here would be able to pray because we're totally unholy in your sight apart from the blood of Jesus. But help us to plead our sonship um, and our status as daughters. God, daughters and sons, help us just to plead that with you through the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen.